you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. One of the, it's kind of funny. One of the things I was just talking about is I'm pretty sure that people have learned to do this, but I haven't become great about this. If you really were going to go into this to make sure that you were everything was going to be fine, before we start our sessions, we would always reboot go into like keep everything else closed go into exactly the thing that we want instead of having multiple things open in the background that maybe are using memory instead of you know whatever apps i had open that were draining uh or actually that had switched settings or that had my input devices different like every every one of those things is a possibility for something to get twisted warped tweaked right i don't always make sure i'm safe computing if you will you know so but how many times have you rebooted and then suddenly a hard drive has to have a scan or there's an install that you didn't realize or like the router, you know, you go to reset it and wait, now I'm not connecting at all. What's going on yet? Exactly. One of the reasons I've done, as you know, many presentations at many different tech conferences and gatherings. And one of the things I try to do is you don't show up five minutes to go, you show up 30 minutes to go so that when you boot your computer, it's going to take care of all that. I don't want an antivirus update right now. I don't want you to search for Wi-Fi and then give it up. And then when you get back, you, you know, there now there's only so many sessions they allow and I don't have one of them. So you kind of want to just get it where you're bulletproofed. And then you're not going to get interrupted in the middle of your PowerPoint presentation because it really, really wants to update system software. Yeah. <laughs> and arguably, when I worked at the uh, tech uh, place where we fixed computers and stuff, there was a company, and this was 2008, let's say seven maybe, um, but there was like an auto company that wanted their computers repaired, but we had to go there. They were afraid to turn their computers off because they were afraid they'd never boot back up. These things Um, at the time were already like 15 years old, running software that you couldn't update, couldn't replace, couldn't get to run on new systems. And there was so much grime and dust and (laughs) dirt in the machine, we couldn't even blow it all out because of the grease and everything. Exactly. Honestly, this really is, you know, back in my days, type talk, but it's really true. I have also come into situations, like you said, where they've got, you open the box up and it literally is like a cat lived in there. It's so full of hair and cat balls and dust. And I did indeed apply, you know, compressed air to blow it all out and it stopped working as well. Those things have become kind of part of how it sparks across gaps and like (laughs) keeps everything going. And I don't think, I didn't like train the compressed air on anything so much that it blew components off the motor motherboard but something was wrong and different and so it's like wow i mean the fact that you guys haven't maintained this and you've had it in like a hot room for forever who knows what alchemy has happened yeah. to <laughs> your computer to make it that now it can only run in that like really hampered it, everybody else would consider this is terrible yeah. no it had reached its perfect little you know homeo electrostasis right right <laughs> oh um, well so and, and you know with all the tech talk uh, you know, I just rebooted my router because our first recording attempt didn't work. So everybody knows where right. we're at. Uh, right. But we were discussing, you were talking a little bit about 
uh, getting a mesh. What we have, I have a pretty good top-of-the-line router. It's a small business router. It's designed okay. for like 24 connections wirelessly. Um, it's supposed to extend, you know, 1,600 meters or something like that. Okay. But we live in a house that's really old and blocks a lot of the signal. And literally, I can go downstairs, and if I'm just around the corner just a little bit, we get no signal. And I, I'm like, you know, 30 feet away. Right. Um, there's, there's metal in the walls, and so there's kind of pseudo-Faraday cages that are blocking things. You know what I mean? Even just thicker walls. It's not supposed to be that the signal can't penetrate right. no matter the substance. But it is affected by it, brick yeah, versus well, drywall or something even, like yeah, that. It's not even drywall. We, we've got stuff that's so old, it's plaster like on right, Plaster over lace. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what we – I got a couple extenders, but that doesn't help a whole lot because the extender has to be in a spot – that it can reach the router fairly well. Um, right. And the other problem with the extender we found out was if you have like an Xbox and you connected the extender, your ping time is a lot greater and it will kick you off of the session at times if it loses that connection between the router and the extender. The because it's both physical and logical. And if it's not getting its appropriate handshaking back and forth to keep trying to right. uptune it, got it. Okay. Yeah, so that was a problem. Now, they do offer with the router and the extenders I have the ability to have one quote unquote, uh, you know, thing. So you can connect to the same, um, Wi-Fi connection network so by sets. name exactly, but that didn't work for us at all. <laughs> we tried, and it would not seamlessly switch between them as we went around the house, and got it. It was a horrid mess. So that leads to my whole discussion. You've looked into the Wi-Fi mesh, right? So, and actually, what I did was, you know, mesh has been available for like five years now, you know, ever since they, and, and what I did was I didn't buy in right away because we really didn't need it by that meaning. We didn't, we don't have, uh, you know, six, eight family members that have multiple devices and stuff like that. We have Colleen and myself, but we do have that. We have times when we really need to be online for sure. If I'm doing a presentation via zoom, I can't have stutter when she's doing all of her stuff for work, even more important that it's anyway. So I, kept reading and kept waiting for the um, comparisons to be, okay, now there's not one that seems to have solved it. There's a half a dozen. They're actively competing. Another one of those wonderful cases where let the tech people leapfrog each other, and eventually you'll get to where there's enough people that have it working and prices have been driven down because of competition that it's not a $500 or a $300 solution. I think I just bought um, the you know a very well-rated three node mesh for like 120 bucks if i remember correctly and that seems to be like the sweet spot and and it does like you want you know that we've got um you know double band means you get both your 2.4 and your 5 uh, megahertz signal i guess it does automatic switching back and forth or so it claims it uh, does like load balancing within the house and beam forming and you have to do a little bit of physically that but the way that we're planning on doing it is we have similarly an old house. Our problem is vertical instead of, you know, horizontal sprawl. But I'm always up in Skynet in the attic. Colleen's down on the first floor. And our second floor is where we have our, our media center, if you will. We watch things on Netflix and other stuff. And where I do my laptoping. So having said all that, I was looking for something that, like, uh, from reading the reviews, 
that matched as many of those characteristics as possible that it, it was. Um, and in having to get for sure perfect signal, I've not only gone with Wi-Fi throughout the house. In the past, I've actually had Iran or had a, a, a phone company guy run an Ethernet cable so that it came down the side of the house and went into the first floor so that her computer at her desk and her printer were attached directly to the AT&T router because we have gigabyte Ethernet and it's, it's right. wonderful zippy fast. And the way to maintain that zippy fastness is to continue to get... 10 base, 100 base gigabyte cabling instead of Wi-Fi immediately degrades that. So my hope is that I'll be able to, for each of those, and I also have a cable that goes right into our TV. Instead of defending it only on Wi-Fi, I cable that. If I put a, um, uh, not a, I think, I don't know if router is the right term. If I put a splitter, then I know I have good signal coming to there, and then that's my Wi-Fi point of presence for each of those places that I've got that cable coming in, they should be able to talk to each other via Wi-Fi or via Ethernet. If they have some smarts that goes from like the master node to the subsidiary nodes, I don't know whether they're all peer-to-peer or whether there really is one master. I think there is because that's the one that you're supposed to connect to your router. It isn't the guy that's going to take signal in from your um, internet provider. It does the Wi-Fi mesh throughout your house. So having said all that, I'm it, it, I think I've accounted for as many conditions as possible, as much capability as possible for the money. And uh, the, the coverage was something like 6,000 square feet. And I don't know how much that is um, radiating out from a central point or total coverage of the zones of control and stuff like that. I'm hoping it's that. And, and as I think I mentioned when we chatted about it a little bit earlier, one of the things I wanted to be able to do was we're getting a new garage built. And I kind of want to put a workshop out there. And one of the things I want to do is have the ability to do like computerized 3D printing or other things out there. And I don't want to run a cable either dangling overhead or put it in the ground. I want to have Wi-Fi reach my garage. It's only 20 yards from my house, if you will. And so that's another thing is that if I can, and and this seemed to be the system where it isn't only a matter of it can only have three, you can continue to add nodes to your network and they chat it up and they then rebalance for now I have a signal everywhere. You know what I mean? Even in the garage. And so I haven't done experimentation with the garage yet because it's not built and I haven't done everything where I strained it in the house, but I'm hoping that this was not, well, I bought the 120. I should have bought the 240. Right. We will see. <laughs> so with what you know of it, what's the difference between having a router and extenders and having this mesh? Um, so the, the, the mesh has um, smarter chips built into each of the devices so that it continually does um, tuning and retuning. You know, a lot, a lot of things are when it establishes a, a, con, um, a connection first, it doesn't, it's kind of like old error correcting modems where while you were doing the transfer, it would um, try to upgrade. And if it could, it would go faster. And then if it saw that there was enough check some errors and various different things that it uses to judge the quality of signal, it would lower or um, raise your speed, your throughput, your, your speed so that you could get better throughput. And I think that these have that instead of being that there's like one smart guy, usually the extenders are nothing more than a signal booster for I get Wi-Fi signal and I spray it back out, but they don't talk to each other for where do I find myself in the house? And I, I don't know that I've seen this. I know that they have speakers that do 
you put them in the room and you let them run their little tests about acoustics so that they balance what sounds you're getting in your room based on the contours of the room, if you will. I think that these guys have some of that equivalent, that they're continually talking so that if they know that you're trying to blanket signal as much as you can, they account for dead spots by eliminating them and they continually try to make it that it's not better or worse anywhere, but that it's kind of equal everywhere. So I don't know what the chipsets are. It used to be that there was like three different chipsets for, you know, the various different um, standards, you know, the, wow, um, C, G, N, X, A, uh, the the various different Wi-Fi standards that we've had. Um, One of the things that I've read that's interesting is they will do the best with IPv6, which is, you know, the, the, the coming, and it's already here, but it's not widely dispersed yet for internet node naming standards. And that might actually be, I hope it's not a big hassle because everything where I go is still, you know, three, four dots, four sets of three, if you will. And I'm hoping that it isn't dependent on that, but that it only makes use of it because, and this is kind of funny, I love geeking it up a little bit like this, but I don't know exactly. I experiment and I get a good result and I don't try to get to perfection. When I first set up that, what, what, um, domain name finder I was going to make use of. You know, I started off with, hey, I'm with AT&T, so I'll use theirs. And then I read a lot about how Google maintains their own servers and um, there's OpenDNS that maintains its own domain name servers. And then if you put your 8.8.8.8 instead of the very specific AT&T things, you'll actually get faster updates of domain names. They have specific uh, checking to make sure you don't get spoofed, you don't get rerouted. You know, they actually not only give you better throughput, but better security about those kinds of things. And so I, that's what I've got is I got a cascade of what I think are the best domain name services to make use of. And that's again, logical instead of physical, but that's kind of what I'm waiting to see is, are they all aware of each other? That as these new developments come up with Wi-Fi mesh, I'm hoping that I don't get to anything where I, so it's kind of funny. I know a lot about it to be able to drop terms and I know how they work, but I'm hoping I'm not bullshitting now that, you know, the, the way that you get, like, I don't have an, a direct um, named address on the internet. It's always done by uh, dynamic um, addressing so that I have that AT&T has something coming into my house. And even then I think it might be multiplex. So it does its own traffic management about that. But then once I'm in the house, I don't have a series of individual addresses, either mine wise or, or anything for the various different devices. That's always done dynamically. And the chipset handles that. It does all that granting of those things. And then if your single drops, it gives you a new address. And so it's never caused a problem because you have either 128 or 256 or whatever the number is of those available. And having said that, I'm hoping that that's going to be compatible as we move forward with IPv6 and Wi-Fi mesh and that they're all kind of like, they must be, right? They must be talking to each other and giving each other samples so that when something comes to market, it's already compatible with all the things that are already out there and enough of the newest things so that you're not going to have competition. One of the unjoys of standards is that there sometimes are not perfect implementations of it or that they've actually done the standard and then added their own little tweaks so that that's how they get the faster throughput. But it also means that you can't mix and match between uh, the various different standards, <laughs> you know? So what I, I went with TP-Link, 
for our Wi-Fi mesh okay. because another thing that they do is home automation. There's a whole bunch of stuff out there now for the Internet of Things. And I wanted to be able to say, if I'm going to have my light bulbs and my uh, uh, alarm clock and my stove and my whatever else, I'm going to try to Internet of Things-wise hook up. I kind of didn't want to have that now I have signal wars over who's blanketing the house with various different sets of, you know, um, standards and signals. I, it doesn't have to get to exactly all one because I think that if you buy into kind of monopoly position that you then make yourself a little bit of a victim that whenever you move, you got to move everything forward. Right. But I think that now Apple and HP and various others have made it that they really are cooperating. And so when you buy a Nest thermostat, it'll talk to almost all of the main routers, Wi-Fi providers, Internet of Things signals, all that kind of stuff, yeah, both yeah. physically and logically. They even have and APIs. I guess, and, that, and that's true, too, that, that if you if it doesn't work immediately, you can do it like my app on my phone will be able to talk if not through the app directly, that you talk to another app that then translates your programming so that, yeah, I wanted to turn on at eight in the morning and go off at one in the morning. And you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> that yeah. that the, the, the little uh, snippets that you write to, to run those various different devices, that they don't just fail like a macro that used to work in Lotus one, two, three, and then didn't work in Excel or whatever else it right. might be, you know, right. anyway. So and what you were saying about the mesh, that's kind of how I took it because the problem I found with the extenders is you can't have one extender connect to another extender, which connects to the main point. It's not they, daisy chainable. They all have to talk right. back to the mother. Okay. Right. And my understanding yeah. of the mesh network was essentially, it's like a Star Trek thing. You put all these little nodes out there and they all talk to each other in whatever way they need to. They kind of just right. take care of it. Uh, and I yeah. thought, I, I looked into that, but I'm like, okay, for like $30 each, I can buy three extenders and hopefully that'll right. work. And, you know, and now I'm like, well, nope, not quite as good as we want. You know, the mesh might be the better choice. Okay. And actually that's, you know, that's a wonderful thing. The more that I learn about like drone swarms, you know, I think I've mentioned I've done all kinds of wonderful work in artificial intelligence and complexity and the handling thereof and emergent behavior from complexity. And that's one of the things that you learn a lot about is things that look to be really organized. Um, a flock of birds in flight makes that perfect V. It isn't that there's a a big program that's running in all the birds head that says, Hey, let's form a V. There isn't a leader duck that is a leader goose that is saying to do that. It's much more that there's very simple rules that are governing that behavior. I should fly more efficiently. I should get a draft off of another goose if I can. And then out of those simple preferences, you get what looks to be very like the, the, the murmuration of birds in the air where they seem to be amazing, complex figures and stuff. But it's not because someone said, hey, here's where we do the triple bypass eight figure. It's more that that emerges from those kinds of things. And so drone swarms now where they have, let's send a whole bunch of little cameras in on legs into a disaster site. And from the combination of all those figures of all those cameras, we can get an idea of how the rubble is. Where is it stable and not? Where is there gas or water or something like that? And each of those doesn't, it isn't necessarily looking for those things. It has monitors and sensors that let you look for it. But the gestalt image that you're putting together is based on the coordination of all those things, instead of it being that there's one big brain that's running the whole show. And so I think that's what's going on with Mesh, that they have relatively simple things about how to 
if you will, they're the internet. They don't spend a moment worrying about why the signal isn't good. They just route around it. Try another channel, try another speed, try another something or other and reconnect in a way that happens so fast, you know, people wouldn't be able to handle I don't want to check this a thousand times an hour. I just want it to work. Well, this thing is a wonderful idiot savant that its job is only to say, how's the signal? How's the signal? How's the signal? <laughs> and then whenever it sees a problem, it goes to work fixing it and then goes back to like, okay, all systems nominal. You know what yeah, I mean? I'll like, wait until like I see the, another problem. It's like the, uh, <laughs> the storks in uh, uh, Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, it, and if anything, the fact that they do talk to each other and are continually saying, how are you, how are you, it, that they, there's real power to be gained from um, hive minds, from that kind of cooperative behavior. But again, it's not, I, I just, I love, I love having a little hive mind in my house. I love the fact that these things really are talking to each other. Right. And, and this can segue into, you know, why do I trust driverless cars? Because they're doing they're so much more work than a human being would with its, with humans are so ridiculously distractible and so ridiculously emotional that to have something that really is a thousand times a second. And I think I'm actually underestimating, you know, um, here's the hundred conditions that really matter. How's the light? How's the road? How's the road conditions? How's the car next to me, et cetera. And they are continually not just looking in your rear view mirror and checking out your side mirrors and looking at your speedometer, but they're checking everything right. all the time right. and they will immediately adjust probably faster than you can. And people have that illusion of, Oh, no, I want to be in control because I'm the one that's going to avoid the accident. I don't think so. I think that right. cars, if they really are set so that oh. they're conservative in that regard, they'll never allow for an accident. And of course, Never isn't true. I just read about there was a might have been a Tesla crash in Texas. Is that correct? But that's after I don't know how many millions yeah. of road miles. Uh, and yeah. so you have to play the odds, right? <laughs> you have to say. <laughs> I remember just a couple years ago, somebody talking to somebody. And it's the same argument with the mass. These people are like, oh, I'd never, you know, well, you don't understand the numbers and science and facts. You know, you, you know, right. you're just arguing. Um but yeah. the, they had said that there was a, a crash of a um, driverless car and they realized what it was that the semi was white and it was turning and it was right by a light and a billboard. So the car it all looked out, white. Yeah, yeah. What was the white what was the billboard? So it crashed and I think someone did die, but everybody's like, see, I'd never trust one of those. And they're like, but wait a second we've been doing this for three years and this is the very first crash, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and also like how many traffic deaths are there every year? I'll grab a number out of the air, but I think it's maybe 50,000. Yeah. You know what people. I mean? And so like you found one and it's terrible, tragic. I think that a lot of what's going on there is not so much that they care about whether someone died, the whole legal system that wants to have culpability. Somebody had to be responsible for that. So we can sue somebody, either the driver or the car manufacturer or the person who laid out the road or whatever. And then now I guess you're going to have to bring Tesla into the picture because their algorithms didn't handle every single, 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 single case every and, single time. And that, that was my argument. <laughs> I, I said, yeah. driverless cars definitely aren't going to be a problem but only for the next 20 years when there's still drivers on the road. That's going to be the problem. It's not when when every single car is driverless and, uh, and controlled by the computer, that's not going to be where the problems are. It's when we have people that are, oh, I'm in the right lane. I'll just zip left in front of people. 
And, right. While and, putting on makeup, while smoking a cigarette, yeah, while doing whatever guys and gals do when they're not caring about exactly. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the computers, like the mesh, just like the mesh we were talking about. Every driverless car on the road is going, hey, how fast are you going? Hey, are you going to move over? Hey, when do you need to get off? And they're all like, oh, he's going to come over. I'll slow down. They talk to each other. They know what's going on and they avoid each other. And they can go at a higher rate of speed because it's easier for them to get each other around where you need to be. And and people are like idiots. You know, if you have one driver on the road doing 40 and another driver trying to do 90, you're going to have a problem because they don't know what each other's doing. But if every single car is computer controlled doing a hundred talking to each other, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred miles an hour is still a snail's pace to a computer. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this isn't necessarily breakthrough thinking, but I think what we're going to see is it's not going to be one size fits all and that we suddenly switch to electric cars. There's going to be gradual adoption. And where we're going to see early adoption is going to be in the places where the set of conditions that those computers have to follow are not 90% the same, but 99.9999. So the reason that they are uh, doing a lot of driverless trucks first is because on the open road, big expressway driving, long distances, there that's the least amount of changeable conditions. It really is that expressways are really well designed for here's how to handle an on and off ramp. Here's how to handle spacing between yourself, depending on how fast you're going. And, and that the, uh, the fatigue and the other things that cause problems for people that you really can cure those even better. There's no lane drift. There's no, et cetera, et cetera. So then we'll work through that and we'll do maybe warehouse type things. You know what I mean? If a place does the same set of 30 stops all the time and it gets really good at that constricted area, it'll be post office trucks. It'll be where there's what it does is very specific, not everywhere you can drive everywhere in the United States with your car. And and then we'll see it filter out. Maybe there's places where weather is more of an issue. If you're in the middle of Arizona and you have the same weather, 340 days out of the year, maybe that'll adopt first. Whereas places where you go from, you know, zero degrees to a hundred degrees and all of the snow effects, heat shimmer effects, water on the road, whatever, maybe it'll take a while to get into that vast belt of changeable weather conditions. But I have confidence that science, technology, et cetera, is going to get better and better at the monitors that detect it and the algorithms that interpret it and the conditions that apply. There's even if you said there's a whole bunch of different conditions, but we're not talking about the surface of Mercury versus the surface of Neptune. There's still a pretty narrow band of things that can happen on Earth. We're just going to get better and better about that. And we'll we'll get to where it is safer to go that way. You know what I mean? Other other technologies Uh, The other technologies, the the road surface, I've read about a company that makes these hexagon polycarbonate that they can use for a road surface. They last longer than cement and they can put signals in them. So signals can send to the cars right from the road surface that, hey, everybody stopped up ahead because of an accident, you know, and it'll slow them down. There won't be crashes if there's snow and ice and And these things can be heated so they keep the road clear without the salt trucks. And they can have LED lights in them. So in parking lots, they can say, oh, it's a it's Black Friday. Let's reroute the traffic this different way. So they say red here and green go this way and change that on the fly like a billboard. All fascinating ideas. And in fact, that that, honestly, I think you're exactly right. And the uh cooperation between 
the people who are making the cars that are on the surface and what people are going to do to alter the surface so that, like, I don't know, the bandwidth uh, uh, is so available in ways that it isn't only about what human beings can see. And so, like you said, if you have lane markers that are really good at helping a car stay in the lane, not because you can see the white stripe, but because it has that series of, they used to call them bots dots. You know what I mean? Those with the little bumps in the road that when you drifted out of your lane, you, and you would, oh, I, and it'd wake you up. Well, they'll start having that via signal. And just that a car will be like, you know, right now I get lane indicator stuff from my Prius where it really can detect because of the lane markers, whether I'm right in the middle of the lane or drifting too far. One And it's kind of funny sometimes when it beeps at me it's like i'm doing just fine and then you look over and it's like oh i guess i really <laughs> cut that quarter just a little bit and sometimes it really is i don't know why it beeped at me i really was just fine right. but i'd rather have it air on the side of caution too and say be careful this is one of those situations where you're doing a serpentine and it really might be that you want to straighten that out instead of follow the road right. but there's other drivers on the road coming from the opposite direction and you need to give them their lane etc cetera, etc cetera. Right. so <laughs> and, and, and that's that's what people don't realize. You know, oh, I don't want driverless cars, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but do you realize how many aspects of driverless cars already exist in the new cars? Te- detecting other vehicles, detecting people, stopping you automatically, doing the parallel Absolutely. parking automatically. I, I mean, yeah. do you guys realize we're this close to a driverless car already? It's in fact, this is very funny. You know, we have two two Priuses, two Prii, and one is a, one older generation, and the newest one will actually, when you set your cruise control, it will not only keep you at that speed, but it automatically speeds up and slows down depending on the interval that's being maintained. The other one does not. It wants to go sixty four or whatever else it might be. Oh no, I mean sixty. I mean sixty, Your Honor. It's I always go the speed limit. So, having said that, it really you have to like. And you sit in your car, you have to say, okay, not the new red Sonia Prius, but the older silver surfer Prius. And this is not the one that's going to bail me out because I'm not paying perfect attention to my interval. I need to be aware that you're in old style where if you put on your, your cruise control, you kind of like lashed the accelerator pedal to the ground and you need to intervene if you're coming up too quickly on somebody. So I think that's good training for even now, while we have these wonderful devices, there's various generations and that we will still have to be aware of what are our settings, what are, what's our default conditions when we get into the car and how are we doing? Right, so, right. Yeah. And, and so talking about the devices and uh, all of that, and we, we, we've been talking a lot about health lately because uh, we've both been having various health things. Little things, which, exact big things. That's yes. Right. So I went the other day. Uh, and got some test strips for my glucose meter. Now, I don't check my sugar regularly, but I like to check it so I know what I ate, how it affects. That way I can adjust my thinking. Well, now they have these new meters. Here's the thing. My test strips were outrageous. It was 80 bucks for 50 test strips. And that's like, man. So I started looking, okay, maybe there's a new meter with new test strips and it won't cost as much. They do, and they have Bluetooth. So the thing Bluetooths the results right to your phone automatically, and you can track it over time. Right next to it was a blood pressure monitor that Bluetooths right to your phone so you can track it over time. And they have a scale that Bluetooths your phone so you can track it over time. And I'm like, I need all of this, you know, especially if I can get a mesh network and Wi-Fi everything right to my computer. (laughs) That's what I really want. But I was like, 
you know, other than the test strips being a lot cheaper, I'm like, that's what people really need to do is track it over time and see how it is average and this time of day after this meal or that type of thing. And that's right. And when you see a spike, say, well, what was I doing then? And then you have in near real time, you can adjust your behavior so that you incur less of hazardous and much more that you're on that nice, even keel that you need to stay. So I hear you. And, and, And they even have, I mean, these are really expensive, but they have refrigerators and I don't think it'd work for us so well. We have leftovers and whatever else, but it scans what's in your fridge so it knows what you're taking out and it can track the food that you're pulling out. And wow. uh, it will tell you, you know, if you say, hey, I always want to have carrots, you know, I pull out carrots, you know, and there's no carrots left. Hey, you need carrots on your shopping list. And it, right. it keeps track. So I can I can see all that stuff working together in a good way, you know, what did I eat? What was I eating? What I pull out of the, you know, we need it in the cupboards also, but, you know. So. Exactly. That's, you know, I'm, I am, it's kind of funny. One of the things that I get to is, I'm sure that I must have read a uh, cautionary tale science fiction wise long ago about that kind of thing, where once things start monitoring you, you're going to get the auto nag feature where it's going to go, Really? Pizza again? Really, Al? Right, really? Right. And, That's Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that, exactly. <laughs> so that's really handy, however. Like, I've always thought it'd be handy to not have to worry about – do I have a, a really good memory? And I usually, but even then, I still have a little bit of a grocery list. And then while I'm wandering around, I often say, oh, that's right. I'm out of rutabagas or whatever else it might be. But to have that be pretty close to automated and knowing that there's never a time that I'm going to run out of milk because I didn't remember it, but that it told me, hey, you you might want to pick up your milk, your carrots, your important stuff. And I guess what I would want to do almost is have that there's a priority that you can set for it so that I don't need to have cake in there all the time because I had a (laughs) birthday cake on my birthday and now I'm not going to have another birthday for a year. But of course, the lettuce, the carrots, the things that I'm trying to eat more healthy and, and like the staples, you know, I want to have milk, bread, that it it always makes sure that you know that those are not only are they yes or no, but it's like this is three quarters done, and that it actually has some interesting monitor for you pick it up before you run out instead of after you run out, well, and you overlay. You know what I mean? Like they've done in warehouse operations for a long time. What's your reorder point? You know, so <laughs> and, and you don't even think about that. I mean, especially in the last year, the uh, home ordering and delivery has picked up. So just connect it. You know, if there's 20 things that are staples in your shopping list, chicken and milk and cheese and, you know, the, the 20, 25 things, those monitor those, your refrigerator says, hey, we're out of these 10 things. Now it triggers. It automatically orders it from Giant Eagle or wherever, and then some guy delivers it. Right. It's not even you having to exactly. There's no interaction on your part to see that your your box arrives magically at yeah. your doorstep. Exactly. <laughs> Magic. You know, it, it, it's worth jumping in a little bit for a moment. So I've been trying to do some of that. I have um, various different drugs, supplements that I take. Is there a way that I can not only get my atorvastatin, but have it be that it will automatically send it every 90 days? you know, for the good low price that I get, and I never run out. And most of those things, like I get things uh, through CVS, because that's the provider that my insurance requires that I make use of to do mail order drugs. And so that has worked out. Having said that, I have a couple other supplements, like I want to take um, garlic. And when I tried to set something up like that, um, Amazon is trying to move into pharmacy in a big way. And so I said, well, good, I'll be 
happy to take advantage of their good pricing in order to get this going. Well, what I noticed was the good price that it gave me on something when I set it up for a subscription and it touted additional like 5% off because you're going to subscribe, that wasn't the case. That there's a little thing in their uh, user agreement that says prices for these things might fluctuate and we will charge you the currently prevailing price. And so my $12 thing, no lie, was like 24 bucks. It was like twice as much. It's like, well, thank God I read the confirmation email that you sent me because no, I'm going to turn off this subscription because I don't want it to be that even if your price fluctuates, I would rather choose a different alternative than the particular brand of yours that I bought, True Nature or whatever else it might be. I will more actively shop than just let myself kind of be on the leash from you. And so there's something about not trusting fully the fact that they're making these nice promises, but there's always that little fine print, you know, the the big print makes it all convenient and easy. And then the fine print means now we gotcha. Yeah. Don't think about this. Don't monitor this because we'll be happy. And you know, there's all kinds of situations that have always been based on that magazines when they say, Hey, you know, a, a dollar an issue, and then, of course, for your first year, and then it goes up to 45 bucks a year. And, well, I'd rather go to the ma- magazine site that says we have a good price, and all you have to do is order through us. There might be like a three-month delay because we bundle all of our orders to get these good prices. Right. But I'm willing to do that little bit of work so that I don't go from $12 to $48 because the convenience, convenience is worth 10% to me, not 300%. Right. And they... They kind of count on people that are not watching. We're not monitoring and not caring. And so I wonder how many things are really like that. I'm, I'm in, uh, as you know, I'm still in the market. And there's any number of things that are like they handle magazine subscriptions. They handle uh, the texts that go out of various different companies. There's one, you know, Dexcom that's handling how to live your life with diabetes and the ways that it will take care of all these things for you. Well, Taking care of things for you sometimes means that you put yourself in the hands of someone there. It's not only your best interest at heart. They're in there to make money. They're in there to make their uh, operations efficient. And if you look at it, if you watch it, you can see this isn't the best I could do if I just pay a little bit of attention. So I'm still the one that has to make the, the determination of what's the price of convenience. And I want my price of convenience to be what I just said, 10%. I don't want it to be that they doubled in price, but I got lazy. You know what I mean? Don't get lazy. Right. <laughs> Don't do that. And so so <laughs> it's very easy to fix that, though. I mean, they just need to take from the investments. When you invest stuff, you can say, if it drops to this price, I want to invest this much more. Or if it goes above here, I want to sell. Or don't buy it if it's this much. And you can set all those parameters. So they should be able to, well, I know they can, but for subscriptions and stuff, you know, don't buy it if it's over this price. They just don't want to do that because that's not best. See, that's exactly right. When I, Some of the things that were I writing this app that I would have built in from the very start that I have a price point that makes it easy, medium, hard to justify buying it. And they, nobody seems to have that thing. They have, what's the snapshot at this exact point of what the price might be? And they want to be able to manipulate that so that things go on sale and then they creep up over the course of time. You know, I have a couple apps in, in my computer, if you will, one called honey. And I think another couponing app where they monitor what you're buying and they say, Hey, if you're not addicted to Amazon, if you're willing to go to other vendors direct from them and so forth, we'll tell you uh, something as big as airline tickets and something as small as, uh, the, the, um, set of 12 white socks that you just bought from Hanes or something like that. And I really, 
don't mind, this is a terrible thing to say, whatever the big brother aspect is of they're watching me and they know what I'm buying and they're making that into a profile of me. And it's like, you know, I don't think the world's going to be taken over because they know what underwear I'm wearing. You know what I mean? I, I don't think so. And it really might be that there's, of course, this big mega brain that says, we know if you buy Haynes or Fruit of the Loom, we also know that you're a Republican or a Democrat. It's like, wait, wait, what? What? Right. You know what I mean? And yet, and yet <laughs> I am willing to ex- expect and it, it's uh, the price of being surveilled and the convenience price, all those figure into everything that I do because it's an ongoing series of transactions. You know, a variation on the prisoner's dilemma. It's not only that I did this one thing one time, me and them are always building our reputations, our profiles. And if I find that a place is unscrupulous, that it didn't just go up by 10%, but by 100%, it makes me not only buy it, not then, but like never want to deal with them again. They really thought I was going to be a schnook that in one go, the next time they charged me, they were going to gouge me. And like, who does that? Somebody programmed that to happen. They said, that's our policy is we're going to give you the lost leader and then we're going to screw you. And I want a gentle over the course of long time screwing, not an abrupt pushed up against the wall. I, boy, I'm sorry that I'm going down this weird path, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like, yeah. you can tell when you're being abused, when you're getting shat upon by people that don't have your best interests at heart. Serious XM <laughs> uh, did that. Uh, I got some deal where at the time you had to pay for the web streaming separate from devices. Well, okay. they gave you a special that you got web streaming and, dev- and a, one device, which was my car. And it was like 60 bucks for the year. I'm like, well, heck, that's a good deal that's for me. A bargain, yeah. Five bucks a month. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then I forgot about it. And it was like $320 for the following year. And I'm like, yeah, this is not worth it to me. So I called to cancel it. Well, we can't give you a refund. Okay. Well, I'll keep it, I guess, but don't sign me up for renewal. Oh, but it's the best, blah, 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 blah. And suddenly they're offering it to me for $150. I'm like, wait a second. You just charged me $300. See, I, I, as you know, like cable companies, maybe Sirius is too much like them. They're renowned for that, right? That they get you in early and then they just, it's the frog in the pot of boiling water. They keep raising that temperature and they count on, we can bump it by 10%, but we're only going to lose 7% of customers. So on balance, we win big time when you have 150 million customers or whatever else it might be. And even then, like that, that business model of, um, don't try to do right by them in terms of giving the best service for the money. What's the most insult we can give them before they leave? Right. You know what I mean? What's yeah. the most screwing that we can do before they're finally, damn it. And they find, I hate that model. Uh-huh. And yet how many places have adopted it? Right. You know, because so you works, have to kind of be aware because it works. Exactly. You know, right. that renewal thing that it's always way down on the bottom that it's not even a box you check now. It's like, this is the default setting and you'll have to tell us within 12 weeks before, or do you want this to continue? Right. Well, I, I always think to myself, they don't know who they're dealing with. I will put a tickler in my right. calendar that's as of this date, I'm going to look for the email that says, Hey, and I'm going to indeed turn off a service. If it looks like they're getting ready to, to, to do me wrong. You know what I mean? I'll go to another vendor and get a better price. Anyway, anyway. And you, you met, we mentioned investing and we have talked investing before. Uh, I, I'm not investing as highly as you yet, uh, but the meager amount I have in, I, I was just checking it and it's up like 88% over the last couple months. So Good not for as you. glorious Fantastic. as you, but not too bad. No. 
and, and in fact, unfortunately, I'm, I'm a little bit different. You know, I've been in high growth for a long time, high tech and so forth, and there had to be a correction eventually, and it has happened for me. So I'm down off my high, um, and I'm, I'm whereas I was at, no lie, like 240% or something like that, I think I'm down to like 188%. <laughs> Which is you know, still so better I'm, than I'm, most people. Yeah, would get and that's it. over the course, not over, not per year, that's over the course of since inception, which was the first of 2019. So over the course of two years and two months, that's still very nice. But it, it's kind of funny, psychologically, you're like, give me my money back. Right. I had that money. And you know, come on, world, get in line with, this is a great company and you should be, you know, giving it the multiples that say, we know it's going to, get to the point of profitability and places. And, and so with it's kind of funny. I nowadays so much can talk about this too much. I try not to, but I think that um, I still, Motley Fool is really, really good with its analysis of here's what still, if you're thinking five years out, not three months, these are still very good bets because they have compelling technology. They have a competitive advantage. They have um, the, the way that they're managing their business will get them to profitability. And that right now they're in growth mode instead of value mode. And so that is still a more exciting place to be for me. Colleen is very much in value mode and she's had much more of the same experience as you by doing things that are more S&P 500 and Dow index oriented. She had a nice steady rise, especially with the stability that we've seen with Biden and um, his getting into office and the various different plans we've put forth with the stimulus package, the infrastructure package, and how America is back to being in the business of business, not back we into being- We made America the, great again? See, I don't know about great yet. We have so much work to do <laughs> because we took America a four-year, we took a four-year, wow, I had a leech on me. I had a parasite on me for four years and it drained so much of my, sapped my strength. And the people that have that, they don't want to give that up readily. So they're still trying to manipulate in every way the financial laws and the voting laws and everything that they can to get back to their, those abuses. It's, but it's, at least we have education again. We have an energy policy again. We have an environmental policy, not just you guys go screw everybody you want and we'll stand back. And in fact, we'll help you. You know, so oh boy, the, the, I'm. <laughs> the slogan they said was make America great again. But what right. they really mean is make America great again for me. <laughs> for me, exactly. For that 2% of the population that are going to manipulate the other 98% to say, right. this is great. I'm a temporarily disadvantaged millionaire. And I know that if you take, you know what I mean? Trickle down all over me. I, I, I deserve all the trickling. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, uh, <laughs> so, slightly. Oh, go ahead. You got to talk about that still? Uh, no, no. It's just that... Um, I think that some of the places that I'm most enthused about is I think I've mentioned before, I'm not only in it to make money. I love saying, where do I want the world to go? Where do I want, what kind of world do I want to build? And so it's get those medical technologies that are going to be defeating diabetes, defeating cancer, defeating uh, new pandemics. And I'm, I just like Novo Cure, which is one of my kind of moonshot bets at just announced that you know, they're the ones that do um, uh, electromagnetic fields can defeat cancer when combined with other cancer-defeating technologies. They're not enough by themselves, but they assist in survival rates and shrinking of tumors and so forth. And they just hit stage three testing, which is a really important milestone. That's where a lot of places have to say, sink or swim, you know, keep going or abandon. And they just proved efficacy in a convincing enough way that they're moving towards FDA approval. And so I don't, I don't have a lot of wildcat bets 
like that. You know, it's not like, oh, we discovered that this particular amazing serum is going to cure you of everything. But where there seems to be a lot of technology behind it, and they're doing the due diligence of all the testing and the cooperative, etc. This is, I'm very happy, not only that my, my silly investment is doing well, but that we're going to have a better way to cure cancer. That's the world I want to live in. I want, you know, the fact that we've thrown 60 years worth of money at incredible money at cancer uh, solutions, but cancer is an intractable foe. It mutates and it, it's just so insidious, kind of like what we're dealing with COVID. It has all different effects and it gets into different parts of your body and da, 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 da. So having said that, I'm just really happy to see, uh, do we have a diabetes breakthrough? Do we have a cancer breakthrough? Do we have an Alzheimer's breakthrough? And I'm willing to kind of put money into I support you, not in a charitable way, but in a more like these guys are really doing the work, not just wishful thinking. I want them to break through. So I'm pleased about that. I've had a couple of good newses like that. And I'm into Tesla so that I'm into the driverless cars. And I'm into, I don't know, a lot of my companies, I don't have anybody that's like, hey, smoke more. You know what I mean? I don't have anybody that's doing active harm. And I have a whole bunch of places that really seem to be consumer oriented and fix the world, make the world better oriented instead of just how much money can I wring out of the system? Yeah. It's, it's, I, maybe it's a little bit of virtuous investing, but it's that I'm a futurist and I want to live in a good future. I want to live in a future of jetpacks and Jetsons. I, I don't want to live in a future dystopic of like, well, we're all, you know, I got my machete and I'm going to cut down any zombie that comes towards me. That's right, not the right. future that I want. Right. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, Along with that, with the investing in that, so like you, I've been going through some of my stuff. We talked about this a bit. Okay. Um, And I've got a set of comics and I'm like, I really don't want to touch these. (laughs) Like my Star Wars ones. Um, Exactly. The classic Star Wars. I'm I'm wavering a bit on the semi-newer ones. um, Partly because Marvel, when you buy them, they have a code. And you can get them then digitally. Well, some of the physical issues are like skyrocketing, a couple hundred dollars each. And I'm like, hmm. So I'm looking at this because I want to fund, use the sales of some of this stuff to fund newer endeavors, like going to uh, author conferences or some of the other things I'm doing this year and editing for my books, which it's an investment, not just spending the money, you know. I hear you. Call I think. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, Colin was going through some of my other boxes, which I haven't even looked at in five years. It's just been sitting there. And he said, Hey, you know, these comics are worth like five, $600. And you haven't even, you don't even care. I'm like, Great, let's sell them, you know? So uh, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of, you know, that like you've been doing too. Um, and Good I, for you. I mean, it really is a joyful thing that something that you just, you bought, you enjoyed it, you read it, and then you socked it away that like, 10, 20, 30 years later, it's like, oh, the world loves that still, and I happen to have it, and a copy in good condition. I'm just so happy when that has happened. I I think I mentioned, I've posted a couple things where, who knew, it's not only the obvious ones like Giant Size X-Men number one, where I know that that was a heavy value guy, and I kind of hoped for it when I bought it. I've always loved the X-Men, had no idea at the time because it really was the X-Men was not a major Marvel title, but then it became one. It became this huge franchise and then the movies hit. And then, you know what I mean? So I've had made a point of kind of holding onto those guys and keeping them in good condition. Cause I had suspicions. Whereas I'm so happy that like 
you know, who knew Guardians of the Galaxy was going to take off? Who right. knew Black Panther was going to become as big as it is? I think I, I, this is so far as I'm about halfway through my collection. Right now, the single most uh, valuable thing based on current market is something like Werewolf by Night number 44. And I, it's because it's the first appearance of Moon Knight. Right. And so it's that perfect storm of, perfect combination of, all right, it was an existing title, but not a big seller. But then a character came in, kind of not number one, where everybody's going to buy it speculatively, but 44. Who cares about number 21 or 44? But Moon Knight now about to be in his own movie, and he's had amazing, interesting staying power in terms of how many groups he's been in, how many incarnations his book has had, how many big-name authors have wanted to work on him, because... The kind of crazy superhero is an interesting character to write. And so having said all that, here I am sitting on like really a tasty mint condition copy of something that's worth many, many thousands of dollars if I get it appropriately graded and that the market stays hot and that who knew, who knew when I bought this thing for 50 cents, a dollar, that it would soar to tens of thousands. It's right. very heartening. You know, yeah, I've and got in fact. Man, <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I've got the uh, Marvel Presents that has the first appearance of Guardians of the Galaxy. That's one so of So, like that, exactly. See, you know, it's a, and in fact, this is kind of a weird stat to throw out because I'm, you know, um, I have collector's software that does automatic comparison to a, uh, the big network of what are things going for uh, in terms of eBay and comic book auctions and the various different sources they use to get to a true value of a comic. And when I look at what I've spent for comics over the course of time, oh, and this is like, I'm, I think I'm about 22,000 out of 40 now. And I look at what they're supposed to be worth nowadays. I've made like 36% a year wow. in comic books. And like, I was silly, crazy, unbelieving of di disbelieving how I could be making so much in the market. Who knew that maybe all along it was my comic books, my stubborn, hold on to these mom and dad while I'm at college. Please don't throw these away. You know, keep them in good condition. Don't just use them for placemats while I'm eating cereal. I really have since probably 76, everything of mine is in mint condition. That's the first time that I was buying from a buying service and not just letting people paw through it on the, on the, on the spinner rack before I got to it and stuff like that. So I have almost 50 years of comic books in really good condition and a whole bunch of great stuff has happened since 76, all kinds of character introductions. I mean, not the only, the obvious ones like spawn and Deadpool and, you know, but like all those, like I have whole runs of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, that, that every single one of them is worth a hundred bucks if they're 40 years old. Right. So it's just, you know, I, I, I always, I kind of laugh about it. You know, please, anybody who's listening to this podcast, they're not in my house. Don't come rob my house. Right. You're not going to find <laughs> anything here. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> don't, don't hold me hostage to make me give you my comic books. Don't be a jerk about this. But it's that, that silly dream of I've always loved these and I kept them in good condition and maybe, maybe one day. And the first time that I sell something that's going to be like, and then Colleen and I went to Europe. Right. But that's going to be such a wonderful well, story to tell. My own little comic book story. Right. I, I was a stubborn little kid that held on to everything. <laughs> and then they became, it came true. <laughs> it started a business by selling a bunch of comics. So, I mean, that's, you funded a, a business. So I did. In fact, what you were just saying about when I, the only time that I ever sold things was 
to my chagrin, I sold my first 100 Fantastic Four and my first 100 Spider-Man to start my consulting business. And nowadays, when I think of what those might be worth nowadays, it's just hanging your head in, in yeah, tears. But, but well, that was what I was doing back then is I needed to be able to, I was working on the Moscow Commodity Exchange. I needed to be able to afford Russian lessons. I was doing <laughs> state-of-the-art technology where when I was working on my trading systems for Gambit, I needed to be able to have the five CD uh, reader, not one at a time. I needed to have a whole bunch of stuff that just was, um, it was an investment. That's exactly the word that I use and that you use now. I don't think I just kind of turned comic books into, and then I, I had more licorice. No, right. I really did tr do it to, to kind of accelerate my career. I did great things that now forever they're on my resume. I learned a ton. I took on all kinds of assignments that every single time I did that, I had another line on my resume for another technology that I was good at, another industry I'd worked in. So in the overall, I can't, and, and it's kind of funny, I sold them to a good home. Uh, the, 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 it wasn't just to a comic book store. I sold them to a friend named Orville, and I hope that he is reveling in the fact that he's now got, man, if you saw my copy of the Spider-Man with Molten Man on it, where it was like a black cover with, you know, gold and red, and it's just not a crease, not a ding. It was a work of art. And he has that now so that the people that when he finally gets that graded, CGC and C CGCS are going to be like, this is the nicest copy we've ever seen of this. It's going to, he's going to be a happy guy. So yeah. that's a cool thing too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hope you have that same experience that, you know, you got wonderful condition copies and, and to just jump, I'm going to um, jump on it for a minute. I have all kinds of stuff, G.I. Joe, U.S. One, things that I couldn't care less about. And yet the world likes Ghost Rider. Who knows why the hell the people think Ghost Rider is a reasonable character. That sucks. And yet they're worth a lot of money. So yay me, Marvel Spotlight number four or whatever like that. Come and buy my Ghost Riders. Right, I am right. so happy. Yeah. And, okay. So I'm going to do a segue transition here. Um, we've talked multiple nerd topics. Imagine that today. So I got to ask, why have you never seen Big Bang Theory? Um, you know what? It's a little bit like Seinfeld, which I've seen very few of, that I tried watching it from the start because someone told me that this would be something that you would like, and it sure seemed from the description. And honestly... It wasn't the number of laughs per minute. That it wasn't immediately endearing characters. I all those things that Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel used to say about movies. Do you care about what's going to happen next? Do you? Is there any personal interest on your part? It didn't take. I'm not sure why not, but it didn't take. And in fact, this is a weird, sad confession. I am geeky as all hell, but when I'm amongst the worst of the geeks, I'm very aware of that's debilitating geekery. You yeah. know what I mean? If you haven't, if you love comic books so much, but you don't want to spend a minute away from your comic books that you can shower, maybe you need to like have more balance in your life. And, you know, when I've been to comic book conventions and science fiction conventions, and this, this is, uh, here, here goes my geek audience. I remember I have often been with my younger brother and his friends. I was kind of the guy that brought them to things for the first time. First Rush concert, first Comic-Con when it, when Comic-Con was, um, uh, anyway. Uh, so we were in, I think an early Gen Con when it was still in Wisconsin, not in Indianapolis. And we kind of stood around and said, wow, there's only like fatties, geeks and losers here. And we were like, 
well, which one of those are we? Because we're very comfortable here. We belong here. We love the wargaming. We love the D&Ding. We love the all of that. And so, you know what I mean? It was, even then, though, I like I could blend back into society. I didn't get like Star Wars tattoos on my face. I didn't only have that as an interest. I've always had multiple things that I could do with my life. And so there's something about when a show is so, I don't even know, stereotypically geeky or like that it hurts me to think I've seen people that had that problem that really didn't know how to talk to another person that like get all stuttery and weird and sad. And, and I don't, this is kind of sad. I don't like the, the humor of discomfort can be interesting, but not for 30 minutes at a time where it's like, is everything on here going to be about, they can't communicate and that they, they don't know what love is and that they, kind of rank on each other friends are good to each other but then there was all if i remember some of those early episodes they were very competitive and very much like insult humor back and forth yeah and so i know this is might be so sorry i've gone on too long because now it seems like i'm rationalizing but in short it didn't take and maybe i didn't give it enough of a shot i've had a number of other shows where when i watched it seven eight episodes then i got it then they got it they were a better show they learned their characters and that kind of stuff so it sure seems like I should have watched every one of 10 seasons and I should be able to recite every, uh, 12. Thank you very much. I do you know what I mean. I should be able to like get well all of the humor that's there because I'm sure that it was a gold mine that once they knew they had a wonderful geeky show, all of our geek humor was evidenced in it. Oh, and yeah, I would have yeah. said, oh, I get that. Oh, I know that. This is not for everyone, but I get it. And yet somehow I didn't do it. And so I, you've so, loved it. You've seen every episode. You you are twice. a longtime fan. Good <laughs> right. for you, man. But so, here, okay. here's, so here's the thing. It, I was surprised. There's a lot of mentions that just really, really hate that show. And I've not completely figured out why. Um, and it could because be. You think it's of, too accurate a portrayal? <laughs> but I think what you said is, you know, they were like, well, it's too stereotyped. Okay, but. You could say that about any comedy any show, show, any action show. You know, here's I mean? the jock, here's the pretty yeah. girl, here's the. I know what you're saying. I think, Absolutely. like you said, though, it hit too close to home at times. And I didn't start right at the beginning. I came in at like season four somewhere. The, there was okay. an episode. So they had where, their groove going, and yeah. Okay. So there was an episode where um, Wallowitz, he's the NASA engineer guy. Uh, he created a robot hand that was supposed to work on the space shuttle. And that was really kind of cool. But well, to keep it clean for the kids at home, let's just say he, he was also the horn dog of the group and he's looking at this robot hand and he goes, huh? And so then suddenly, (laughs) what else could that be for? Of course. So then he gets a frantic call to his friends because the robot hand got stuck. (laughs) Right. And isn't, who isn't letting it go back from exactly purple to pink? Right. Yeah, okay. So um, I don't oh, know man. why, but several people told me I should watch that episode. I don't know why. <laughs> I was single at the time, but um, That's funny. So, but so I watched it and I did laugh and I watched a few more and I went back and watched the early ones and yeah, the early ones are a little harder but i think what happened is later they at the beginning they were very stereotyped and they very much were 
every nerd joke and ragging on geek culture and that almost, it was a lot more mean almost in a way, like you said, but then the characters developed and people started loving the characters and they diversified a bit to their own personalities more. Uh, And I just, I guess, you know, really can relate. And it's funny because Gina and I talk all the time how when she started watching Big Bang Theory that she claims that helped save our relationship at times because she understood you a little bit. Yes, absolutely. She would watch it and go, oh, my God, that is you. Of course, she she points out she's like, you know, that part of Sheldon is you and that part of Leonard is you and that part. There's different parts uh, of each of them. Uh, And she she'll giggle and laugh just because. It's like, wow, we have been in that situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's something. Maybe that's something I should do for Colleen and I, that she gets to like, it'll be couples therapy for us. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, you know what I mean? That I she'll be had... able to say, so that's what you were thinking or yes. not thinking when you did that thing. That's yes. why you are as you are in some ways. Yeah. You know, you, so just, you should yeah. pull up like, uh, you know, season three or four and watch just a few random episodes and see if it catches okay. you more. I'd be interested to see if it does. It might not, you know, not everything's for everybody regardless. You know, I'm sure not every cop watches every cop show though. Right. That that may be fairly true. (laughs) You know, what's funny, having said that, I really do love when you discover something that you have not been aware of before that you had kind of given a short shrift. And then when you discover you like it, like I have, 12, ep- uh, 12 seasons of this to watch. Yeah. What a treasure trove. I really get to sit, you know, and thank you. I really will give it a try. Maybe that'll be like a, you know, a late comers perspective it's, on, see what I you caught think. up on Big Bang Theory and I got past that. There's any number of series. I'll tell you, I really liked the Highlander movie and I tried watching the Highlander series and I was like, they're repeating themselves by episode five. There's like, there's nothing new going on here. How much, how many times? Anyway, that was another one where it's like, I expected to like it. And I was like, pissed about, didn't you get the essence of the series and why it's cool like I did? That's funny. You know, because (laughs) I like the series better than the first movie. I thought the first movie had so many things that it could have done that it didn't. It kind of let down. And again, that's another one. I didn't start at the beginning. I was like season three or four of Highlander before I got into it. And then I went back and watched the others. So maybe I'm just hitting these at their high points, catching the groove. Interesting. You know, here, I'm going to, it's time for blasphemy on Al's part. (laughs) I also did not immediately jump onto Supernatural. I tried watching it from the start and there was, there was one episode that was like, I don't know, danger to children or something that was a little bit too weird for me. And I was like, I don't know that I want this every week. And yet when I returned to it for like one of those things, like, well, I really do like shows like this. I like the Kolchak. I should like episodic. Exactly. There's a new menace each week and they're building the mythology. And when I read probably an entertainment weekly about, it wasn't just about a new menace each week. It was that there was this underlying mythology of the the Christian angel mythos and the, you know, what happened, who went to hell and who got out and all that kind of stuff. And then when I gave it a more sustained try, I really liked it. And so I returned to it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking now is that, Sometimes because there's such a wealth of things to try watching, I don't give things, right. I don't know, I don't give them one episode. I usually give them half a dozen. And then that's what I think is, if I haven't liked it after a half dozen, it's just not mine. It's just not the one for me. And yet sometimes 
Like, I don't know, they take a dozen episodes. They take a couple seasons to find their feet and become high quality. And then the reason you watch the first episodes is to get all the information that's going to inform the later things instead of it being that they were great quality from the start. Well, you know, so supernatural. My kids got into that and I watched it. I'm like, okay, this is, uh, you guys enjoy it, whatever. Um, And then they kept into it more and more and it never ended. So I started watching some of it with them. And then Gina and I met and she loves supernatural. So we started, so as a family, we were watching like season 10 together. And that's a cool thing in and of itself. It's yes, something the whole it, family loves. So that exactly. helped yeah. just that fact helped, you know, me enjoy it more. And I yeah. really grew to like the characters. But if you do go back to season one, I even watched it recently and I was talking to Colin. I'm like, wow. Or no, Megan, uh, wow, the, the season one is so different because the characters are not there. They don't act right. like they should. They think differently because I said Dean wouldn't have done that. Sam wouldn't say that. You know, and, See, and she, exactly. Maybe that's it. There was more sibling rivalry instead of brotherly yeah. love. There was more that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And let me okay. put it this way. Gina was bawling when it ended with this finale, and she was just crying her eyes out. He's dead. He's on his own. Yep. They they did something very, very interesting. We watched episode 19 of the last season, and it was everything pretty much culminated and highlight and was ending, and you saw it, and it was a great story, and you know, it did really well as an ending, I thought. Right. And I got done with that. I'm like, now hold on. As far as a series and a story goes, they just ended it. It was done. The, it, you know, the arc, everything, the epilogue, it was all there. There's nothing I could think of that would make a story better to go one more episode. Well, they did go one more episode. And then they did. Yeah. But I re- I'm like, this doesn't even make sense to me why they would do this. And it's a, it, it's a different type of ending. Well, here... The producers knew that different people were wanting different endings, so they actually created it as a two-ending show, and they basically put the word out, pick the one you like the best, and that's your ending. Oh, my. That's a good – what an interesting thought. How cool is that? Yeah. You know what I mean? That, yeah, so, okay, okay. And, I guess the after having heard about, like, Sopranos falling on its face with its last episode, they were determined to not go out with a whimper right. but with a bang. Two bangs. So, right, okay. yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I, I think of episode 19, that's the end uh, for me. Okay. That's the final. But I like how the last, last one ended too. Yeah, 20 is the coda that goes exactly. a little bit further. And like and it's kind of fun, like you said. Maybe it ties off all the story arcs and stuff, but there's something more satisfying or differently satisfying about differently. seeing where things went from there. Yeah, it's You know what I mean? So, different. Very yeah. cool. Okay. So, all right. And again, the, there aren't any shows hardly except hee-haw that have gone that long you know <laughs> hee-haw went for like 33 years did you know that i did not know that, that no, i crazy. don't think i watched it after the 60s so that's wow right. okay <laughs> yeah Jet atkins he was on there for like his whole career wow <laughs> yeah or not Chet atkins who was it no, uh, the, the was it Chet atkins no a different guitarist um yeah. Hi, hi. I can hear him saying it. Hi, I'm uh, Roy. Roy Clark. No. Roy Clark. That's Roy, it. Roy Clark? It, is, it is Roy yeah. Clark. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, anyway, uh, Supernatural, you know, great. I, I fell in love with the show. I liked the boys uh, yeah. and stuff. So, 
uh, I definitely grew into it. And soup and uh, what was the other one? Have, did you ever watch Scorpion when it was on? No, I did not. But I've also I'm interested in that one because I like the whole uh, you know, whatever you know surveillance team and turning the tables on bad guys and all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, it definitely the that is one of them where I think they had an idea for it and they did it well in the first season or so, but then they got away okay. from it after that. And interesting. And it's only yeah. four seasons. And to warn you, it ended on a cliffhanger at season four and then they, and they didn't finish it. it. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, but I will say we were talking about the, the stereotypes and relating to it. My cousin's kid or grandkid, has autism. He's only seven. They've diagnosed it. This kid, I mean, if you didn't know he had autism, spend five minutes with him and you would know he has autism. You, okay. it, he's one of those that he is Sheldon. I swear to God, uh, in every way. Let's put it this way. The other night we were online uh, playing Xbox, racing, need for speed. Mm-hmm. And his grandma, Pam, got a phone call and she had to put her controller down and take the phone call. Well, we kept racing. You can't really pause it online. And it, it you know, it's not that big a life threatening deal or anything. Right, so she's right. like, forget it. Just you guys go. And we kept going. <clears throat> Finn broke down crying because we were continuing to race and Nana was not in the race. She couldn't race and we were leaving her behind. And, and he kept yelling at us, stop, don't, don't, don't let her behind. And it's like, Finn, it's okay. You know, he didn't get that. Of course, then Gary said, well, you pick up the control and race for it. He goes, Oh, okay. And it was like switched off like that. And he was like, great. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So they watch big bang and they watch young Sheldon and they're like, Oh my God, that is Finn. They can see it. And I think, in a lot of ways, it helps relate to him because it, it can get very frustrating. It can be very difficult to, to yeah, deal with, with that. the occasional meltdown or the occasional yeah. what's going on here. Okay, it, it's yeah. tiring sometimes because you have to constantly be aware and you know paying attention. Uh, but knowing, watching the show helps right. them. Because You're not the, alone. Other people have this exactly. and they get through life. Yep. Exactly. Okay. And they could go, yeah. well, he's having a Sheldon moment or something like that. So it's not as stressful in that. So that's another that's good, a good observation. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, okay. Cool, man. Wow. Okay. As always a wonderful episode. Thank you so much for great conversation. And, uh, I, you know, we're making the world a better place. We, we talk about to. cool things. I have a number of friends that are now saying, you know, they really do sit there with like, uh, their, their, their apps open, their notepad open. Cause when we mention books, music, whatever that you should be listening to, I will say that Dean Kuntz Frankenstein books are really good. Five issue series. I'm already on the fifth one. I said I wouldn't binge it, but you know, it had to happen because <laughs> they're really enveloping and good. And, uh, and just that I, I've been, I went back and listened to more of the Bonzo Dog Band. I don't know if any of you've ever heard of them because they're kind of from the 60s, 70s. But Neil Innes, who did a lot of mo- mo- music with Monty Python, came out of here, as well as a couple other people. Good, um, They're very witty, and they're very good in that song parody way of, boy, this song sounds so much like the Turtles, the Beatles, the Dave Clark Five, that they are able to capture the essence of music while doing their own particular demented spin on it. And so I, I had spotty 
a couple vinyl albums, and then they're really hard to find. And then CDs, they didn't seem to get reissued. But finally, somebody put out one of those little five CD box sets. I'm like, this is the most Bonzo dog band I've ever had. This is so wonderful to get a big dose, a big deluge. So that's what I've been listening to this week is catching up on the Bonzo dog band. <laughs> well, I got Gina, the Garth Brooks Legacy Collection LPs. Uh, that okay. came out. So we've. I it, like him, even though I'm not much of a country music fan. He's got enough interesting yeah. edge talent. I like him. So, yeah. okay. Uh, so I've been listening to some Garth Brooks. And I, again, I'm not a huge Garth Brooks fan like you, but now I know some of the songs. You know, if she's going to listen to Def Leppard, I've got to listen to Garth Brooks. So, you know. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> Doesn't he have the Thunder Rolls? Doesn't he yep. have Friends in Low Places? I, yeah, can, oh, I love some of his songs. Oh, yeah, he's got a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. I've got a good story I'll tell you sometime about Friends in Low Places. There you go. And, and one final thing I'll say is, so we got Playhouse Square coming up as their series. They really are starting in the fall because we think we're coming out of COVID. One of the shows that they're presenting is a Temptations music box, a jukebox tribute, if you will. And I love the temptations. You know, it's like kind of like what I said with my dad liking B.B. King and others, like, what am I, a big kind of white Lithuanian guy loving the Temptations? Because they're amazingly, wonderfully talented. Motown has great sound. They have a five-CD box sets of them called, like, Emperors of Soul. And you listen to this third CD, probably 30 cuts, and, like, 20 cuts are some of the best music ever made. It's can't get next to you, and it's Psychedelic Shack, and it's Papa with a Rolling Stone. It's like, God, these guys were great. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing that show because I'll be singing every single song. <laughs> Listen to the bass lines. Uh, the, the bassist yes. from Motown, James Jamerson, he did something like 85% of all the uh, bass lines for Motown. Exactly. I'm trying to think. I know they're not the Wrecking Crew, but there's a name for that Motown house band. Um, it'll come to us. But I knew that. I knew that there was like you know three or four guys that figured onto all kinds of good Motown, and that they were just that they could pull beautiful music out of the air. I, I love that. You know, the perfect groove, the perfect bass line, wonderful. Okay. Tough. All right, man. All right. Take care, Steve. Have a good one. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week. <laughs>